goes high and deep. Touchdown, Wisconsin! And this game is underway with a bang! This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. I know I said I was out on this Badgers team, right? i not watching them anymore. Don't have fun. It's not a fun team to watch. I'm done. Not watching anymore. Well, okay, so last let's talk about last night. Last night I was in a vulnerable place. Had nothing to do. It's the NBA All-Star break. Come on. Of course I'm of course I'm gonna watch. Yes, I broke down yesterday. The Bachelors beat Illinois last night, and it, it happened in a way that you wouldn't really expect the Badgers to pull off a win, right? They're playing Illinois last night, who have been near the bottom of the Big Ten. They have some talent. I, I'm surprised that Illinois, and, and part of that is the Big Ten just beats up on itself, but part Illinois is better than a 10-16 and 16 team. I thought they played really well last night. The Badgers did well to just get a win given the circumstances. 64-58 was the score last night, but the storylines, like if, if you did not watch the Badger game last night, and you went to bed, and, and you're about to go to bed, and I say, hey, the Badgers won 64-58. Talk to you in the morning. And that's all I told you. You'd probably go to bed. Well, Ethan Happ probably showed out, probably had about 18 points, you know, 12 rebounds, maybe eight assists. Uh, Brad Davison and Demetri Trice probably hit a couple of shots. And either Reavers or Khalil Iverson maybe chipped in a couple of points. Maybe Kobe King hit a, hit a shot off the bench. They probably won a real ugly, slow-paced defensive game at home. Ah, 52-50 was the final. Like, that's probably what you go to bed thinking, right? And you would wake up and you would see... The storylines, you think, what the hell? Who was the leading scorer? Who had a great night? Ethan Happ didn't play for the final stretch of the game. It was a wild, weird night in Wisconsin basketball last night. And I, yes, I said I was out on this team. I lied. I'm going to watch. I'm a fan. I'm a Badger fan. Of course, I'm going to watch this team. No shame about it either. You're not going to make me feel bad. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talk and text line. We're going to talk about the Badgers to open up the show today because there are a lot of storylines, a lot of weird things that went down for the Badgers. And I don't say weird in a bad way. I don't mean to sound uh, condescending or or negative. Just some out-of-the-ordinary things, for lack of any better term. Some just out-of-the-ordinary things going down at the Kohl's Center last night. Like I said, you would probably assume that if I would tell you, hey, the Badgers won, you have it in your mind. What? Okay, the Badgers did this, this, this. Right, They didn't let the opponent do this, this, and this. And last night, this Badger team was kind of turned on its head. You had Khalil Iverson stepping up and playing really well. And and Reavers hit a big bucket down the stretch. And Khalil Iverson made some plays on the defensive end and had some dunks. Like, just a weird game. And to boot, Ethan Happ didn't play it all down the stretch. And that is really concerning. Now, I know the Badgers won last night. And we hear this all the time. A win is a win, especially during conference play. Hey, a conference win is a conference win. I, we hear those, these cliches and we're reminded about that all the time. So I'm not downplaying last night's win. But is, is that the new normal? Are we just not going to see Ethan Happ down the stretch the rest of this year? Because it worked last night in a night where there wasn't a whole lot going right for the Badgers. They weren't shooting the ball well. They fell down early. And obviously, it's a long game. So the first half really didn't count all that much. Right, The Badgers were within a couple of points at halftime. They outscored the Illini in the second half and ultimately won 64-58. But, but listen to some of these scores. Right, Happ only had six points last night. Trice only had seven. Now, Davison had 18. He was their leading scorer, and he played very, very well. But Khalil Iverson was the other piece that actually made some things happen. 16 points, 
He had two steals, nine rebounds, an assist. But the most important part was the huge block that he laid down in the final minutes, which led to a transition bucket on the other end. And I know for the last couple of weeks, I've talked about, hey, look, when the Badgers are in close games, and they're in very situation-oriented place down the stretch, right? It's a two-point game. There's two minutes left. The Badgers got to get a good shot, right? When it's very situation-oriented. Crunch time basketball, right? They have not excelled. Now, they have won some close games. Don't get me wrong, but they have kind of paled. They have struggled at times like that. And last night, it was a play like Khalil Iverson throwing down that mammoth block and just opening things up a little bit. So instead of the Badgers coming down with a minute 30 to play and needing to set up the offense and go into the teeth of a tough Illinois defense in crunch time, it opened up a little bit because Khalil Iverson was able to throw that block down, which got the Cole Center up, which got it loud, injected some energy into the building, and now the Badgers can run in transition and Brad Davison finished on the other end. Sometimes it just comes down to one play like that. And last night, Khalil Iverson really made it happen for the Badgers. I know he wasn't their leading scorer, and I know 16 points is not otherworldly, right? But when Khalil Iverson was younger, specifically a sophomore, when this class of Khalil Iverson, all right, and Charlie Thomas, and Brevin Pritzel, and I know there's a difference between red shirt and true seniors and, and wherever they, they fall on the step chart, doesn't matter. When that was the young batch of players underneath the seniors who were at the time were Bronson Koenig and Nigel Hayes, Vito Brown, we looked at that class and said, man, Khalil Iverson's going to be fun to watch. Brevin Pritzel's going to be a player for this Badgers team. And it hasn't really happened like that was hoping we'd maybe see a little bit more from Khalil Iverson, and I was hoping Brevin Pritzel would be a little bit deadlier shooter and be able to do a couple of more things, and I, I thought Charlie Thomas was going to be one of these next great Wisconsin big men. Now, none of that really shook out that way, but last night you saw the value to a player like Khalil Iverson on this Badger team, because when we talk about the Wisconsin Badgers, we talk about the system, the swing offense, where it is very slow and it's defense-based, and you want to eat as much of the clock as you can and make it difficult on your opposition, and you force them to play Wisconsin style of basketball and that's great you're going to win a lot of games like that even if your talent is a little bit lower than at times it has been let's face it there's no Frank Kaminsky's there's no Bronson Koenig or Nigel Hayes or Sam Decker on this team right now but what Khalil Iverson provides is a little bit of athleticism a guy who can get up and throw down a fantastic dunk which is worth worth more than two points. I feel like I've a broken record on the show and we talk about dunks. They're worth the energy to either get your own building up and juiced and excited or to quiet the opposing crowd down on the road. Those are big plays. A dunk, a huge block like Khalil Iverson had last night. Yeah, that led to a breakaway bucket by Brad Davison. And sometimes for the Badgers, I think they just need to get out and run a little bit. They get bogged down at the end of games because their offense is based on passing the ball, eating the shot clock, and taking as much time as possible. Well, Khalil Iverson solved a couple of those problems. He helped them get past a couple of those kinks last night just by using his sheer athleticism and his playmaking ability. And at the end, I thought it was really astute. And it's not something that I picked out, so I, I want to give credit to uh, to the, the person who brought this to my attention. It was on Twitter. Uh, Jeff Patrikas, a writer for, uh, for the Badgers, covers the Badgers. Last night he tweeted out, and I thought this was so astute, right? He said this, and I'll quote the tweet. I'll read the tweet directly because it, it's absolutely perfect. Remember Nate Reavers put back to give the Badgers a 62-58 lead? This was after the game. Reavers came flying in, had the putback, which essentially sealed the game. Like, it was it was all but decided at that point. Illinois' Gorgie, I feel so bad because I'm going to butcher this name. Bashiavelli, I know that's not it. I was just watching highlights, practicing saying it. But 
the, the big man from Illinois. He saw Khalil Iverson underneath with great rebounding position, and he went to box him out, and in came Nate Reavers, who had a wide-open lane and gave him a clear path to put the ball back. And I saw that tweet from Jeff Patrigas. I said, that's exactly it. Because when Khalil Iverson is making plays, and he's using his athleticism to go up and get rebounds, or to, to clean up on the glass, or to block shots, that's something that now all of a sudden the opposition has to be like, okay, we need to, we need to do something about that. And that opens things up for other players like Nate Reavers last night. And that was just a brilliant example of Khalil Iverson who once, and you go back and watch his, his high school highlight tape, he's doing everything. He's blocking shots, he's shooting, he's attacking the paint. I mean, he's, he is just a, a physical brute with great athletic measurables, right? Something that we typically don't see on Wisconsin Badger basketball teams. I mean, Hap is an, is an old white man type of player, right? He's a player that you don't see very often anymore. Khalil Iverson has some of those physical measurables that allows him to do things that Badgers, they're not always able to do. And last night, Illinois had to take note of that because Khalil Iverson played incredibly well. 16 points last night. But like I said, you just can't look at the points. He had nine rebounds. He almost had a double-double. He had a block at the end that was absolutely huge. It was a four-point swing. He doesn't block that shot. It goes in. Instead, he blocks it. It goes the other way for two points. Khalil Iverson changed the game last night. Now, I'm not saying he's an all-Big Ten player. I'm not saying he is even a great player because I'm I'm often left disappointed with Iverson. But last night, I think he went out there and wanted to be aggressive. He wanted to put his fingerprints on that game, and it made life easier from everyone else, especially in a game where Ethan Happ really didn't have it going. He only played 27 minutes last night compared to 32 for Khalil Iverson, 35 for Brad Davison. You're never going to see that. Ethan Happ actually didn't play down the stretch last night. And I, and I don't know how I feel about it. The Badgers won 64-58, and I'll take that result all day long. Badgers keep winning, especially in conference play. I'm happy. But, it, but is that the, the new normal? Is that the precedent that the Badgers have now set and are going to follow in the future? Meaning, hey, when we get into crunch time, Ethan, I'm sorry, we just can't have you on the floor. He's one of the best players in college basketball. Not just in the Big Ten, not just on this Badgers team. And I, I don't know. Are we okay with that? 608-785-7996. Ethan Happ resting down the stretch last night. Or I shouldn't say resting. He just was benched. Can't have him out there. He's a liability at the free throw line. Are you okay with that? We're talking about that and also reacting to this Badgers win last night. 64-58 over Illinois. Your texts, your calls coming up next on the five-star telecom. Talk a text line. I'm talking all things Badgers. Coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I am your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in, hanging out. Hope you're having a good night. We're talking Badgers. Coming up in about 10 or 15 minutes, we're going to move to some Brewers. We keep kind of uh, having to swallow this Mike Moustakis move and what Council and what Stearns have now said about it. So we're going to continue uh, to go down that wormhole as the Brewers are bringing back Mike Moustakis for at least one more year. And then we got to talk a little Antonio Brown and whether or not the Packers could actually make a move for this cat and some of the new details in that story. So plenty to come. Right now we're hanging with Badgers, and you can join me. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talking text line. Ethan Hab didn't play down the stretch last night. And it's re- it's a really weird feeling. It would be like watching the Packers. All right, who's the Packers' best player? Aaron Rodgers. It'd be like Aaron Rodgers not playing the final five minutes of the fourth quarter. Right, It would be like watching the Bucks and watching Giannis sit on the bench for the final five minutes. Not because they are hurt, not because they need the rest, but because the coach legitimately thinks, and in this case, last night, he was proved right, that his team has a better chance to win with their best player sitting on the bench. That doesn't happen very often. 
And it was a weird feeling last night. And I don't know how to swallow it. I don't know how to react to this. So I'm hoping you can help me as well. Let's go to the five-star telecom talk and text line. Bob says, Hap is playing worse instead of better as the year goes on. He is never going to the NBA. Well, Bob, I, I think those are two separate things. And I appreciate you chiming in. Those are two separate things, right? Just because Hap is regressing, as you say, instead of getting better, doesn't necessarily mean his his chance of being a prospect in the NBA is worsening as well. I I don't think Hap ever had a great chance to be in the NBA just because I don't think he, he can't shoot the ball. He's way too small to be a true center. If he was 7'3 and was a lot bigger and a lot stronger and a lot heavier, well, now all of a sudden we can have a conversation about Hap not needing to shoot the ball. All right, d- don't get me wrong. But I, I don't know that him regressing and then playing worse. Well, first of all, I don't know if that's the case. He had a bad night last night and just didn't really get a great matchup. I, I don't think that definitely impacts him in terms of his ability to be an NBA prospect or not. I think that fate was ultimately decided a, a, a while ago because Ethan Happ just can't shoot the ball and he's way too small to be a, a center in the purest sense. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talking text on. We're going to continue to talk about this. I... It's weird. Like That's the only good word I have to describe this, is it's just weird. Last night I was on Twitter. By the way, you can follow me at Keystroker Grant. You can follow us at WKTY. John Rothstein, uh, who works for CBS, he writes for Sports Illustrated, he votes in the AP. I mean, he is a guy who has an imprint and has an opinion and is rooted in college basketball just about as much as you can get. And this is what he tweeted out. I thought it summed it up well because I... It's not that I am upset that Hap didn't play. It's not that my opinion is now Hap should never play at the end of games because the Badgers won last night. I don't know how to feel. This tweet summed it up, I thought. He says, Ethan Hap is the best player in the Big Ten and a first-team All-American, but he may not close games for Wisconsin moving forward due to his free-throw deficiencies. Sat the final minutes tonight versus Illinois. Put that in perspective. He is the best player in the Big Ten and a first-team All-American. Just chew on that for a sec. The fact that the Badgers have not only the best player in the Big Ten, but a guy who's going to be a consensus All-American and one of the best pure college basketball players in the game, if not in recent memory, and he might not play at the end of games. You just don't see that a lot. Like I said before the break, it would liken it to the the Packers sitting Aaron Rodgers for the final stretch of the game or the Bucks sitting Giannis for the final stretch of the game, not because they're hurt, not because they need the rest, but because the coach believes, and in last case, Greg Gard was proved right that his team has a better chance to win with their best player sitting on the bench. And it's odd. I don't know if it's always going to be the case moving forward because it, it, we look back in recent history and, and Bob spoke to it on the five-star telecom talking text line about Hap is quote-unquote regressing. Well, if we're being honest here, Hap hasn't exactly had the easiest slate of matchups. And matchups matter here because Hap matches up against some players and some teams better than others. There's a lot of differences between certain college basketball programs, even within the Big Ten. There's a lot of diversity, right, in how these teams and these programs are, are strategized and how the, the way in which they fill out their rosters with certain size and certain types of players. I mean, we look last night as they beat Illinois. Illinois' best player might be uh, Bashavili, and I had to over the, the commercial break because I want to be able to say his name. I, I went and I rewatched the highlights, and I wrote the phonetic spelling out on my notes here because I don't want to be that goof who just is too lazy to pronounce a name correctly. Baz Shavili, a very big and strong and physical big man. He doesn't have the touch. He doesn't have the finesse that Hap does. But in this case, it, it isn't always necessary. We look back a couple of, uh, about last week, or about two weeks ago now, when the Badgers beat Minnesota 56-51. Hap didn't have a great game. 
at least on the glass, because Jordan Murphy is a really good counter to Ethan Happ. Jordan Murphy is not half the basketball player that Ethan Happ is. He doesn't have the touch. He doesn't have the hand. Certainly no one has the handles of Ethan Happ. He doesn't have the finishing package. But when it comes down to it, he didn't need it because he's bigger and stronger and he could push Ethan Happ around. Michigan State's another great example. Nick Ward is a, he's a hog. He's a beast. He doesn't have the touch. He doesn't have the finesse or the handles or the footwork that Happ has, but he doesn't need it. Because if you can play bully ball and push Ethan Happ around, it's okay. he's not going to sniff the rim. He can handle, he can dribble, he can move all he wants, but ultimately a big brick wall is going to stop a speedy race car with great handles every time. Like It's, it's simple physics, it's simple science. So I, I don't, I don't want to get too heavy-handed on Ethan Happ is regressing, because I think a lot of that pertains to matchups. And don't get me wrong, at times, Ethan Happ has been very impressive on adjusting to the matchups that he's faced with, right? Like against Michigan State or against Minnesota, when he's faced against a really tough defensive big man, a, a literal bigger body than Hap. We'll see him facilitate a lot. We'll see him draw double teams. We'll see him play a little bit differently because I don't think Ethan Hap has the huge ego and the need to fill up the scoring column on the box score. So you got to give Ethan Hap credit for that as well. I, I just don't know if he has truly regressed. Tom says, uh, it's okay to keep someone on the bench that can't shoot free throws. He's a big boy and needs to learn how. Look, and I, and I agree. Uh, by the way, the, the five-star telecom talking text line is 608-796-2558. I, I, it's a tough attitude to take with your best player, that he's a big boy and he can learn how to shoot free throws. I, I do think that on one hand, being successful at free throws is a product of wanting to be successful at free throws. I know a lot of people made the, the case for Shaq for a long time. Well, his hands are... How big? And his his arms and his body is how big? It's just not natural. And part of that, all right, I agree with. Ethan Happ is not the size of Shaquille O'Neal. In fact, it's not really even comparable. Ethan Happ in the NBA compares to the size of a three or a four, not a five. Definitely not a five in the era of Shaq. Ethan Happ, I I think his his tangibles and his physical makeup, I, I don't think necessarily give him an advantage at shooting free throws, but it doesn't hurt his case. Frank Kaminsky's bigger. Wider, taller than Ethan Happ, and he had no problem. I, I I don't know how much of that falls on coaching or on strategy. And there's a huge mental component of that as well now, too, with Ethan Happ. Because, the, I mean, the, the, the story has been out for years that Ethan Happ can't shoot free throws. The more that that narrative and that dialogue is ingrained into people's head, the more Ethan Happ is going to go to the line, miss a free throw, and come away with the conclusion and say, I can't shoot free throws. And because it's so results-oriented, Ethan Happ says, I'm just not a good free-throw shooter. In his mind, psychologically, it's not going to matter how much work he does from the free-throw line or how much he works on it. He's just not a good free-throw shooter. And I think because that dialogue has been pushed, that narrative has been pushed so strong, even in Ethan Happ's mind, and I am by no stretch a sports psychologist, but when you start to get in your mind and believe things like, well, I can't putt a golf ball. I'm just not a good putter. I can't shoot free-throws. I'm, I'm not a good free-throw shooter. It's just in my physical makeup. It's who I am. The more that you say that, the more that you hear that, the less you believe, okay, if I just work on it, it'll get better. Right, okay, well, if I just spend more time on it, it'll get better. You don't believe that anymore because you just take it as a truth. You accept it as truth that you cannot shoot a free throw. I don't know what plays into Ethan Happ's weaknesses at the free throw line. Whether he just hasn't been instructed correctly or if it's all mental. Maybe he's just lazy as hell. I don't know Ethan Happ. I would have a hard time believing that watching the rest of his game. And it's really going to hurt him down the stretch here. Because if Ethan Happ cares about the rest of his game, he should definitely care about free throws. But he gets got to the point now where it keeps him off the court. I, I don't want to belittle or talk down on Ethan Happ for not being able to make free throws. Ultimately, it's his game. 
it's his decision on how he spends his time and how he practices. I, I just I, I don't think that they are neglecting free throws at Wisconsin during practices. I would have a hard time believing that. I think it's a combination of all sorts of those things. And I'm sure he's talked to a sports psychologist, right? As as we were just we were doing a little really, really cheap version of a sports psychology talk. Like I'm sure he's talked to people. I'm sure he's had people, specialists come in and work with him. There's people who are way smarter and way more qualified to talk about this subject than I am who have worked directly with Ethan Happ. Sometimes it just you don't get the result you want. That's just the nature of sports sometimes. But he's going to find himself on the bench. Last night, if the Badgers would have lost, you could have chalked it up as a failed experiment. Okay, we tried to, to ride out the stretch last night without Ethan Happ, and we still weren't able to get it done. If we're going to lose in crunch time, we might as well lose with our best player on the floor. Very easily could have spun around that way last night, too. But the Badgers didn't lose. They won. They beat Illinois 64-58, and they got big plays from a guy like Khalil Iverson and a guy like Nate Reavers, and Brad Davison was good down the stretch, and Demetri Trice, for as much as he struggled offensively last night, hit another dagger bucket. Just a little spot-up two-point jumper. It was a really good shot. And last night, Ethan Happ, or Demetri Trice, excuse me, was, was far from excellent. He was he had seven points. He was two of nine from the field, one of five from three. Like, he, he was not shooting well. But he found a way to make that bucket at the end. I, I just think the more we look at this Badgers team, this might be the reality moving forward, and that's Ethan Happ is going to be sitting on the bench at the end of games. It's weird. It's not ideal because if Ethan Happ could make free throws and he was able to be out there, this Badgers team would be really good. And they would be even that much better in crunch time. I don't think they're a good crunch time team. Last night they made it happen. But they by no means excel in the final minutes of games. And Ethan Happ being on the bench, I don't know if that's necessarily going to help them, but I think it is going to become the new reality. As long as the Badgers keep winning, I don't imagine they'll change that strategy anytime soon. It's going to be weird. It's definitely going to be something we're going to have to talk about because what happens if uh, next week or in the next couple of days the Badgers are coming down the stretch and it's a close game? They got Northwestern. They're at Northwestern here in a couple of days. What if they're in crunch time against Northwestern? Are they going to pull Ethan Happ and say, we're going to ride without you again? Probably because it worked last night. Fascinating. We're going to have to pay attention to it moving forward. Uh, we're going to continue and pick up a conversation that we started yesterday regarding Mike Moustakis. So the Brewers re-signed Mike Moustakis. Uh, we, the details kind of trickle down, and, and we'll kind of recap the, the contract and the situation. As we know it so far, today, Brewers Media had a chance to catch up with Craig Council and David Stearns on exactly what their plan might be moving forward for working Mike Moustakis into the everyday starting lineup, specifically on the field. Getting his bat into the lineup ain't going to be a problem. Where to play on the field is a different question. So we'll continue the Brewers conversation coming up next. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show with me, your host, Grant Bills, right here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY both at 96.7 FM and 5.80 AM. Thanks for tuning in. You can also stream us at WKTYsports.com. Now that might come in handy tonight when you're hanging out at home and you might want to tune into some Mississippi Valley Conference basketball. Drew Kelly is going to be back in action tonight. He's going to have a very busy next couple of weeks. He's got Central and Logan, some girls action tonight, tip off at 7.15. So make sure you're hanging out with Drew tonight. However you're listening now, that'll do the trick, whether you're listening the old-fashioned way or you're streaming on our website or on our mobile app. It'll do the trick come 7.15 tonight when Drew Kelly takes over. Uh, I want to transition to baseball. We talked yesterday a little bit about Mike Moustakis. Well, we actually talked a lot about it and, and why I like the deal, why I think it's potentially problematic. 
all of those pieces. Well, now we actually have something to go to with Craig Council talking today. David Stern's talking today. It was an interesting day because spring training's really getting underway and we're hearing some of these interviews and some of these questions being asked. Oh, I, I guess, by the way, Manny Machado signed as well today. I think it was 10 years, $300 million. I don't care. He signed with the Padres. Yuck. It's not that I... Yeah, I, I don't like Manny Machado. I thought he behaved like a douche, to use really unscientific terms. I thought he was a jerk in the NLCS, and I don't know really what prompted him to say the things that he said in interviews. Like, I'm not going to be the guy to be Johnny Hustle. Like, even if you're not, which is fine. Not every athlete is. Why do you say that? Like, he just comes across like a dink. Well, he signed a huge contract with the Padres and joins a long list of players in my lifetime who have played for the Padres, who have gone on to legendary careers there. Like, I I can't think of any. I was going to go on before the show today and like, all right, who's played for the Padres in the last 10 years? I'm just, I'm going to be honest because I think it's it's more realistic and it's more honest. I don't know. Who was the last great player to play for the Padres? Adrian Gonzalez. Adrian Gonzalez played for the Padres at one point, didn't he? I thought he played for first base for the Padres. That's like the the highest marquee player I can, I can think of. If you got anything, the five-star tel- telecom talking text line is always open. 608-796-2558. But I really don't care about Manny Machado, and I really certainly don't care about the San Diego Padres. I am glad he went to the National League, so now Miller Park can boo him uh, a couple of times every year. So that's a plus. Let's get back to the Brewers. This is the Wisco Sports Show. Well, let's start with Craig Council today. The Brewers media tracked him down and starting to do some some press conferences uh, there and around spring training about where are you going to work Mike Moustakis in? And I, I actually thought it was interesting because my first inclination when seeing that they were bringing Mike Moustakis back was, okay, Moose will go to third base, Travis Shaw will go right back to second because that worked out fine last year. Well, it worked out better than fine. Moustakis was great at third, Shaw was by no means a liability at second. Why would they change it up? Well, Craig Council shines a little bit of light on that situation. It actually started to make sense to me. Late July last year, um, when we said, um, you know, when we were kind of debating this whole thing, um, so we're going to, we would try, you know, we would explore Mike at second base is what we're going to do um, because we have, that's what we, that's what we don't know about. Travis, basically what happened is Travis did a really nice job there. Um, you know, we ended up not exploring Moose Mike at second base. Um, now we're in spring training. We have time to do that. Well, first of all, let me, before we go any farther, let me just say Craig Council is not in midseason form when it comes to press conferences. It, basically, in the 32 and a half seconds that was that soundbite, he said, we didn't get Moustakas in here until late in the season last year. We didn't really have time to mess around with him at third base. Now we do. It's spring training or mess around with him at second. Now we can try a couple of different things. That's basically what it comes down to. And I think Craig Council also made mention in that soundbite that Travis was good at second, you know, but we also want to explore Mike there and see how it goes. I think they want to get an accurate representation of either or like like who's best at second base, who's best at third, and we're going to manage it back and forth the best way that we can. I actually think it makes a lot of sense. Now, yesterday, as I said so passionately near the end of the show, if the Brewers really just wanted a second baseman, there was no shortage of them out there. And there was no shortage of guys who were willing to sign for a one-year deal, like Moustakis did, and sign for around or shortly less than $10 million. Like, they had better options. Now, I like Mike Moustakis, and I'm excited to see him back with the Brewers. I was a little bit concerned on how exactly he was going to make it work. But 
Craig Council seems to got, get an idea, and it's funny because he is definitely not in mid-season form with his press conferences. Not that he's ever a, a super dynamic speaker. Who's a little bit better is David Stearns, and I'm glad I actually got his uh, take on this as well. This is David Stearns being tracked down by the Brewers media, talking about, well, when you sign Mike Moustakis, because ultimately it's David Stearns pulling the trigger. It's his name that's going to go on the move. If it goes poorly, it's going to reflect on David Stearns, even if he consulted with Council, even if he consulted with Adonacio and said, hey, $10 million, is that good? Or he went to Craig and said, hey, what, would you be okay with, if I bring him in, could we be under the understanding that maybe you would try him at second base? Like, he's going to consult with those guys, but ultimately it's his move. He is not only the general manager, but remember they promoted him to, to, what was it, president of baseball operations or whatever. They created a, a, a position that previously they didn't have. So this is his move. This is him speaking exactly what was going on in his mindset. And uh, Tom Hodricote, who writes for the Journal Sentinel as well, also asked, look, you guys do a lot of shifting. Does that play into this decision as well? Does it make it easier to bring in basically a second third baseman knowing that you're going to ask guys to move all over the diamond as well? And I thought that was a very astute question to ask, and I'm glad that he broached the subject because David Stearns has a pretty good answer on that too. We believe he can handle it. We know Travis can handle it. Um, they're both very quality third basemen, so we think we have some good options, and we'll let it play out over the course of the spring. Does does the shifting you guys do sort of make moot what position a guy's listed at sometimes? Sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. We, we, we move our infielders around a lot. We talked about that last July when we made this acquisition in the first place, that with the amount of, of space we ask our infielders to cover in various configurations, um, that, that positions sometimes aren't what they used to be. Um, both Travis and Mike have done a really nice job on that side of the infield in shifting formations. And so th- this really doesn't change a whole lot for them. This is this is awesome. And I'm glad that Tom Hodricourt asked this question. And, and David Stearns, let's be real. It's not like his answer was was super exposing to what goes on behind closed doors. Like, he didn't give him a whole lot, but it's something interesting to think about, right? With as much as the game has changed, and the Brewers, I don't know, I can't speak for other teams, but definitely embrace the shift just as much, if not more, as a good percentage of the rest of Major League Baseball, right? They're not an anti-shift team. They embrace it quite strongly. They're not afraid to move their infielders around. So let's think of it this way. Let's just do a little bit of a mind exercise. As a manager, and, and a general manager as well, because he's assisting the manager and, and helping put the staff together, you're creating your infield, right? And let's talk only defense for a moment. I don't want to worry about the batting order and how that'll work out. But in terms of playing the field and where you're going to line guys up, let's think of it this way. As of right now, the Brewers like Orlando Arcia. I'm excited to see how he comes right out of the shoot after disappointing for 90% of last year and then getting hot and showing the ability to be great at the end. So I feel good about Orlando Arcia. Now I could be proven wrong. And the Brewers, if that turns out to be the case, will probably adjust. But let's operate under the assumption that Orlando Arcia will be better than most of last year, even if he was not as great as he was in the playoffs. You put him in at shortstop. There's one guy. That is, carve that in stone. Orlando Arcia defensively is your shortstop. Well, then let's look at first base. As of right now, from everything we know, Jesus Aguilar is once again going to be the everyday first baseman, and he's just fine on defense. right? It's not like we can rave about a a first baseman defensively. Like A good defensive first baseman is never going to get the attention, never going to get the accolades or the press that a third baseman or a shortstop or a second baseman is. Aguilar's good. He's great. Two thumbs up. All right, so you have half your infield figured out. You have your shortstop and your first baseman. Now, either Travis Shaw... Or Mike Moustakis is going to play third base. And they are both incredibly comfortable there. Mike Moustakis is a gold glove caliber third baseman. Travis Shaw is also 
in that conversation. Neither one of them is a liability. In fact, I think they were both above average defensively at third base when it comes to the metrics. So now, as we have constructed our infield, we have Orlando Arce at short, who we love, Jesus Aguilar at first base, who's just about as good as anybody, and either Travis Scott or Mike Moustakis at third base. There's only one question mark that now remains in the infield, and that's whoever's at second. And like Tom Hodricourt posed to David Stearns, you're shifting around anyways. So I think it's brilliant that if you really think that bringing Mike Moustakis back, even if it's at a slight disadvantage and he plays out of position at second base, to boost your lineup, right? Because that's the move Mike Moustakis into the lineup. You're essentially, you're, you're taking away a question mark. There's no easy outs in the lineup now. Mike Moustakis is in there. You have one spot that you don't love on defense. And that's either Mike Moustakis or Travis Shaw at second base. The other three you're great with. Orlando Arcia, you're more than great with. And let's be real, Orlando Arcia probably makes up for some deficiencies of the infielders around him. So, is the Brewers infield situation really that dire? I don't think so. Because when you just think of the math, you have three of four guys that you really, really like at their position. One guy might not be perfect, but as much as you shift, as flexible as the infield has gotten in today's MLB, why the hell not? I'm coming around to it. If you can't tell. Because if you just think about the X's and O's, you think about, take the names off. You have a gold glove caliber shortstop, a first baseman who's as good as anyone, and you're going to have either Mike Moustakis or Travis Shaw at third base, both of which can play at a gold glove caliber level. Now, they're never going to win one because Nolan Arenado is going to win every gold glove at third base from here until he ever decides to retire. And that's fine. But three of four infield positions you love. Who cares if you got a Bite the bullet just a little bit on one, especially if you get a huge boost offensively and you're already shifting players around anyways. I just, I, let's not make a bigger deal out of Mike Moustakis or Travis Shaw playing second base because I don't think it is that big of a deal. And maybe I'm completely turning around from what I was thinking yesterday, but, I, but I'm coming around to it. It actually makes a lot of sense. You're shifting, you're moving, and you love three of the four guys you already have playing in your infield. We, we, we can't, we're not L.A., we're not the Yankees. It's not like the Brewers can just say, well, we don't love our second baseman. Let's go buy a new one. You have to get a little creative. And yeah, you might take a little bit of a sting at second base every once in a blue moon. But the the shot in the arm, they're hopefully going to get in that batting order with Moustakis. Woo, I'll take it. I'll absolutely take it. And like I said, they shift them all over the place anyways, which is something that I failed to think about yesterday. So I'm glad it was brought to my attention in one of these press conferences. So the Brewers making some personnel moves. Manny Machado signed today. A little look around baseball as well. I want to transition to football coming up next because we can't go a day without talking about football. Are you ready for some football? Exactly. This is the Wisco Sports Show, so we're going to be talking Green Bay Packers coming up next. Antonio Brown has some new trade demands. I say that loosely with air quotes because it's not a legit demand, but we have some more details about the Antonio Brown situation, and this is something that I want to continue to talk about because, to be quite honest, I feel pretty strongly about it. If you want to take me on, 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talk and text line. Best of luck to you. I'd love to have you on the show. But I am very opinionated on this subject, and I will not take it I will not take it easy on callers for the, the final 15 minutes. The final segment of the Wisco Sports Show coming up next here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I am your host, Grant Bills. 
Hope you're having a killer night. Thanks for tuning in. 7.15 tip tonight. Central and Logan. Girls teams in action. Drew Kelly will have the call right here on WKTY. Until then, I want to talk about Antonio Brown because this it's just a piece of entertainment that just keeps on giving. When I'm over on, uh, on Z93, the number one gift to Top 40 Radio is Cardi B because she's always doing something crazy, especially on social media. I, I feel like Antonio Brown has become the Cardi B to sports radio. I feel like that's where we are now because every day a little new piece of the story, a little extended episode of the saga is released with Antonio Brown. Well, essentially now we know that he's wanted out. He's requested a trade. And that doesn't mean a damn thing if the Steelers don't want to trade him. And as we've seen, players, even with the Steelers, have been willing to sit out uh, without being traded and without that request being honored. But now it seems like Antonio Brown and, and President Rooney have sat down and they feel as though a, a trade is best. So the Steelers are going to explore trade options. It looks like this thing might actually happen. And it's interesting because Antonio Brown, I he just continues to hurt his cause. On paper, this should be an excellent trade for a lot of teams who need wide receiver help. He's got three years left on his deal. It's a pretty manageable contract. Not a lot of guaranteed money. And he's only 30 years old. Like, I, I get people are saying, well, he's turning 31. Yeah, so what? He's a good player. Okay? I don't think the age 31, all the fact that he turns 31 is, like, terrifying people away. But Antonio Brown keeps hurting his case. He hopped on Instagram Live yesterday. And, ju- like, just don't go in front of a camera. AB, I don't know who his agent is, but he's doing a horrible job. Yesterday, he basically said on Instagram Live, hey, if your team's got guaranteed money, call me. And he kind of let it slip. Antonio Brown wants guaranteed money. And I, and I guess it makes sense because Antonio Brown just spent the last season watching a guy like Des Bryant, who was playing for not really any guaranteed money, absolutely blow his Achilles out, and he wasn't even playing in a game. He might never play football again, and if he does, it's going to be super cheap. Antonio Brown wants to take back a little of that power, and he doesn't want to be the number one or number two best wide receiver in the NFL playing for no guaranteed money. And I understand that, but that's not something you plaster all over social media. That's not something you put up on a bulletin board because it's going to hurt your trade value, which is just going to piss your organization off, and it's just it's just going to hurt you in the long run. So today, this is what happened. I saw, I saw a tweet where Field Yates works for NFL Network, does a lot of good stuff. He says he would love to see Antonio Brown with the Packers for the reasons that we've talked about on this show, right? They they gives a number two to Devontae Adams or, or whatever. Whoever's the number one, whoever's the number two, doesn't matter. You now have a great compliment at the top with your one and two wide receiver. The Packers have cap space, especially if Antonio Brown wants some sort of renegotiated contract with guaranteed money. I'm not sure the Packers would be against that. You obviously want to pay as little as possible as you can of players, but the Packers do have some money to play with. They have extra draft. Picks like like it all works out. It all makes sense to Green Bay, and I and I quote tweeted it because most of the reaction that I've had on Twitter and on this show has been negative. We don't need Antonio Brown. We don't want Antonio Brown. And I just, I quoted this tweet and I said just so we're clear, and I want to put this on the air right now. If you say now that you don't want Antonio Brown on the Packers, you are not allowed to turn around and call the show or text the show and bitch and whine when Chicago trades for him or Detroit trades for him, or Minnesota trades for him. Because that's not how it works. Not, we don't live in a fairyland. We learned that with Khalil Mack. It's not just like, well, ah, he's too, it's too high price. We don't need Khalil Mack. Well, at some point, and even if it didn't happen with Khalil Mack, it's bound to happen where a player that the Packers decide, ah, we don't need to trade for him, ends up on their competition. And look how that ended last year. Now, I'm not saying Antonio Brown's going to be traded to the NFC North, or even the NFC, although I think Pittsburgh would ultimately love to get him out of their own conference. 
Like, if the Packers aren't getting better, they're getting worse because another team out there is getting better. And for as often as I read and often as I get calls on the show saying the Packers need to put talent around Antonio Brown or around Aaron Rodgers, they need to put playmakers around him so he has an opportunity to win another Super Bowl before he retires. Amen. I agree 100%. But that doesn't mean when a tremendous player becomes available for trade, like a Khalil Mack or Antonio Brown, Packers fans can all of a sudden be like, well, he's not worth it. Well, we don't need him. We can do it without him. What makes you change your song and tune? Yeah, Antonio Brown's got an ego. He's the probably the best at his position in the NFL. 99% of other NFL fans outside of Green Bay would say the same thing about Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I know he's whack on social media. Whatever. He can ball. He is a tremendous player. And I want him on the Green Bay Packers. Am I, and I seem to be the only one who forgets. Because people love to hate on wide receivers. And I get it. Like, wide receivers will probably not win you a Super Bowl. At least one by himself will probably not win you a Super Bowl. But but there's this this idea swirling around that, well, if the Packers are going to trade or they're going to put draft capital or free agency money on the line, they don't need to do it on a wide receiver because Aaron Rodgers makes everyone better. Well, first of all, you're the one claiming that we need to get Aaron Rodgers some help. Number one. And number two, am I the only one who remembers the last time Antonio Brown and the Packers actually played in a regular season game? It was during the Brett Hundley year. It was back in 2017. The Pittsburgh won 31-28. But it came on a night where Brett Hundley played tremendous. And Jamal Williams played pretty well. He had a big touchdown, a lot of receiving yards. And Devontae Adams had five receptions. I'm looking at the stats right now. Devontae Adams had five receptions, 82 yards, and a touchdown. It was Brett Hundley's best career game. Ben Roethlisberger had two interceptions. I believe the Steelers turned the ball over four times. Let me check that. It was three. Excuse me. That was a game the Packers should have won. You know why they didn't? Because Antonio Brown didn't let it happen. He had 10 catches for 169 yards and two touchdowns, including that tremendous catch near the the boundary. You remember this? And as he dragged his toes behind him, I don't think there is more than a, a tiny handful, maybe two or three wide receivers in the NFL who could make that catch in that moment because the game depended on it for Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was 9-2 and two after that game. They were much better than the Brett Hundley-led Packers. And they were on the fringe of losing that game, and Antonio Brown made it happen. Am I the only one who forgets that? Am I the only one who wants a piece of that? Because there, there comes a certain time where you look at the Green Bay Packers, and you say, you, just, you, you have to go for it. You cannot live scared. Because the Packers lived a little bit scared with Khalil Mack. They weren't really willing to mortgage a piece of their future. Chicago was, and now it's going to bite them in the ass for the next three to four years. I'm not willing to let that happen with Antonio Brown. Well, I know if only Geronimo Allison stays healthy. Well, if the three rookies come along, bull. That, that's I, I don't want to hear that. Geronimo Allison is not going to be a number two wide receiver on this team, nor should he be. I know Aaron Rodgers makes everyone better, but how did that work last year? Outside of Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb got hurt, and nothing was working for this offense. Antonio Brown makes a ton of sense for the Green Bay Packers. They have the picks to do it. They have the cap space. Even if he wants his contract renegotiated, get him more guaranteed money as an incentive to play and go put his body on the line, I would 100% do it. And I know he might not be the best locker room guy. I went on a rant about this yesterday. If you win football games and you're successful, that problem will take care of itself. Said right now at 557 on February 19, 2019. If the Packers win and they're successful and they win at the highest level and are contending, that doesn't become as big of a problem. Antonio Brown was never like this. When Pittsburgh start, started stinking and Le- Le'Veon Bell started sitting out, that's when it became a problem. Don't worry about a, a locker room problem. Just win games. It'll take care of itself. I'm not willing to watch Antonio Brown get traded to one of the competitors to the Packers in the NFC or in the AFC. Because 
in two years when we are all under the, the consensus that the Packers need to go for it and they finally need to push their chips to the middle of the table, Antonio Brown's not going to be available. Khalil Mack's not going to be available. These players don't become available in a trade very often. Packers need to make this deal. I don't care what he did on social media. Yeah, it's a bad look. So what? Win football games, that problem will take care of itself. Packers need to get back to winning football games and not worry about their culture. Not worry about their locker room. Put good players on the field and win football games. The rest will take care of itself. Central Logan tonight. Girls action at 7.15 with Drew Kelly. However you're listening right now, that will do the trick. I will be back tomorrow. We're going to continue the Brewers talk. Hopefully continue the Packers trade rumor talk because I think it's a lot of fun. And the Packers need to do it. So we're going to keep talking about it. That all coming up tomorrow. Same time, same place here on the Wisco Sports Show. I'll talk to you then.